You're listening to the Editorial Intelligence special broadcast from the Names Not Numbers Symposium. More information on namesnotnumbers.com. We meet at a time of uh, huge change in world affairs, very little of which was predicted just a few days, weeks before it started to occur. We also meet at a time when people are once again worrying enormously about the fragility of uh, the economy. Um, and so it's timely in that context, particularly timely, uh, to be welcoming Nassim Taleb to speak to us today. And Nassim has led three high-profile careers, literary, scientific, and financial, around uncertainty, risk, and the fragility of human knowledge. He's known for a multidisciplinary approach to the role of high-impact rare events, so-called black swans. And of course, he rose particularly to prof uh, his profile rose particularly, his credibility even rose when those things about which he warned us came to pass in uh, the credit crunch. His current program is to design ways to live in a world we don't quite understand and help, in his words, robustify the world against the black swan. He's currently Distinguished Professor of Engineering at New York University Polytechnic Institute. And just before uh, he uh, speaks to you, uh, you have all in your room this fantastic uh, book of aphorisms uh, that has just been uh, published that Nassim Taleb put, put together. Uh, and I can't resist picking out a couple of these before you speak. Uh, it seems to me that there are a couple which we might want to bear in mind over the next 48 hours or so. Uh, the opposite of success isn't failure, it's name-dropping. Um, <laughs> or, for company, you often prefer those who find you interesting over those you find interesting. Um, and then at the end, in your postface, I found just some words that seemed to me to sum up really your whole approach, Nassim. You say, the general theme of my work is the limitations of human knowledge. And you go on to say, our mental architecture is at an increased mismatch with the world in which we live. So I'm sure you'll be returning to those themes uh, as you address you. You're going to speak for about 15 minutes, and then yes, we're going to have, have some to, questions. Now I have to change my lecture. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome Nassim Talek. Thanks a lot. I, by the way, I didn't write this bio. It's a publisher, and so I usually my bio is much shorter. I'll just say I'm the author of The Black Swan, and uh, I'm a professor at NYU, and that's it. A former trader. That's the only interesting thing. The former being more interesting, of course, than a trader. Uh, very quickly, let me uh, discuss what I'm working on. Uh, you know, it's more interesting to talk about what you're doing than what you've done. You know? So um, I figured out something. It took me a long time to figure out, but it came spontaneously. What is the opposite of fragility? What do you say? Strength. Strength. What else? Toughness. Toughness. All right. Resilience. Robustness. Very good. Okay. Uh, okay. Very good. So you think the opposite of fragility is robustness? Okay. You think so? It's, it's, uh, now, what's the opposite of negative? Positive. Okay, so, you know, so you're, you're contradicting yourselves already. Uh, what's the opposite of uh, concave? Convex. Convex. Okay, very good. So <laughs> the opposite of fragility would not. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, so you know what an opposite means visibly, but you're not getting the opposite of fragility. Let me explain it. A fragile package is a package I would send by mail, I'd go to the post office, and write on it. What do I write on it? 
fragile, handle with care, very good, handle with care. Now the opposite package would be a package on which I would write what? No, that's not the opposite. An opposite of that would be a package on which I would write, please mishandle. <laughs> benefits from randomness, you agree? Benefits from shocks, benefits from, you agree? Okay, so there's no word in any language for that opposite of fragility. There's a, 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 a mental bias that we all had. I discovered that when I was writing, I finished the black swan, I realized nobody understood the black swan. <laughs> They're asking me to predict black swan. In fact, is you want to identify what's robust to the black swan. And I had two categories. I had something that benefits from black swans, okay, and something that's hurt by black swans. And when mathematically, uh, you express this mathematically, it's very simple. One is concave, the other is convex. But then I wanted to find a word to explain it in English. There was no word in English to explain the opposite of fragility. Robustness is neutral. A robust package is a package on which you write nothing because at best it's going to come back um, unharmed, okay? And, and at worst it will be unharmed. This is at best unharmed, okay? At worst uh, destroyed. This is at best unharmed, at worst unharmed. I want something that's at worst unharmed, at best improved, you agree? So you don't have, so that the mirror image of fragility. Then I thought about it, because there's no word in English. But there's no word in, I'm Lebanese, there's no word in Arabic, in Lebanese dialect, no word in Aramaic, no word in Hebrew, no word in Greek, no word in Turkish. Tried Armenian, I had a false alert. There's one guy said, oh, there's a word like that, Amur. Then I had to try half the Armenian community in New York because it's a very hard language to read. You can't uh, manage to read it. Don't to know that meant resilient. German, no word for it. Of course, Italian, French, incassable, all right? It's not the opposite of cassable, all right? Okay, fragile is not incassable. In fragile in Italian. So there's no word that describes it, and that's a mental bias. So I started the book, all right? And my book is called What? Anti-fragility, anti-fragility, about so many things that benefit from shocks, randomness, philostochastic uh, entities, philochaotic entities. But then when you start, when you have a word for things, then suddenly we start to view the world in a better way, in, in a much clearer way. So I start making a tableau, what's fragile, what's robust, discovered a lot of things are anti-fragile and locally or globally anti-fragile. Anti-fragile for some kind of entropy or disorder. You've heard of wine, no? You've drank wine before. Now when you buy a bottle of wine of good quality, what do you do with it? You wait for it to age, no? So something anti-fragile is something, so wine is locally anti-fragile. It ages, it improves with time, with the passage of time, because of chemical disorder helps it up to a point, if it's good wine. But then, of course, if I throw the bottle in a volcano, it's not going to be very good. You agree? Okay, so it's up to a point anti-fragile. Ha has any one of you been to a health club? Well, that's exactly what you're doing. The human body needs some stressors. It's up to a point anti-fragile. So you need some kind of disorder or some kind of stressor. Then I realized there's something called Jensen's inequality that really says the following. <clears throat> Anything fragile will eventually disappear. Anything, you don't know what's robust. It's an epistemological problem, okay? We don't know what is robust, okay? And anything anti-fragile will show better than its properties. It is, it will perform above its average. So that's sort of what I'm working on now, okay? So it's very easy to catalog what is anti-fragile. 
it was antifragile things that benefit from this sort of evolution. Without volatility, you don't have evolution. Because if you don't have turmoil, you don't have selection. And if you don't have selection, if I have 10 offspring and the 10 reproduce, you're not going to have any genetic, uh, uh, any selection of the fittest, okay? Nor any form of, so you need to have disparity, volatility. So this actually is very strange because option traders, I was an option trader at some point. The only interesting thing I got from my trading is that there's a word we use called long gamma, positive second derivative, and mathematically, or long volatility, benefits from volatility. There are things that benefit from, packages that benefit from volatility. So there are so many things here that are anti-fragile that get a short shrift because people don't realize you have to foster them. Economic life, and there's something very strange, economic life is very anti-fragile to shocks provided you don't mess with it by having an Obama bailing out the weak, all right? Not the weak, I mean the weak small, the weak large companies. So you fragilize an economy by allowing large corporations to suck up the blood of the small guy, all right? But at the same time, small companies are fragile, but collectively they're anti-fragile. There's a, something philosophers call fallacy of the aggregation. It doesn't aggregate up. A collection, so you want small companies to be fragile, Okay, that's why I cannot be a management consultant, because I'd give someone advice to take some risks that would break him, because collectively, in the aggregate, the economy, that's how it survives, by having a lot of restaurants going bust, okay? You see, so at, 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 at the individual level. Uh, there are a lot of other things. The city, so I did my tableau, I, st I was starting really my work on fragility. I decided to do serious work after all this, these uh, uh, essays uh, with... Uh, personalized essays and stuff like that, I decided to start to work on fragility, identifying fragilities. And at some point, I thought I had I figured out how to identify fragility. And as I was embarking on this serious work on fragility, everything got messed up because I started thinking of anti-fragility, which is a lot more fun and less serious, visibly. But that's what makes the work uh, go. So you can catalog the nation state. Anything top-down is fragile. You can prove it mathematically. Top-down. Uh, command and control system is fragile. Anything organic like Mother Nature is anti-fragile. Okay, that, that's sort of you can prove it. Uh, I, I have one only, okay, so I start catalog, I have about 90 uh, categories what, between fragile, robust, and anti-fragile, and I proved 18 of them. Like, uh, you know, the, the, why the nation state is self-destruct, uh, you know, very bad, but, but city states are anti-fragile. Why uh, large corporations are fragile, small corporations collectively are anti-fragile, while large corporations eventually disappear. Artisan, an artisan economy is vastly more robust. People don't realize that. Okay, it doesn't grow, you know, it doesn't, but it doesn't have a Madoff-style properties, okay? Government deficits make you fragile, okay? Uh, you know, having surpluses or having even better, weak government, make, like Italy, is anti-fragile. Italy, the government is something very nominal. People keep complaining about political volatility. Uh, having something like Saudi Arabia is very fragile because, you know, top-down, top controlled, controlled, stifled volatility, system with no volatility, as, you know. So, and it's very similar to someone. The analogy, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a paper actually on it for foreign affairs for some reason. People think that uh, I understand what's going on. So I fake like I understood what's going on and got a paper out of it where I explaining that by supporting... Uh, uh, all these top things, you make the place much more fragile. It's very similar to putting uh, someone in a, um, a sterilized room for 25 years, no germs, 
and then you automatically take him and I don't know if you've been in a, a subway in Tokyo. It's an experience, all right? He would survive about seven seconds, all right, where you have people uh, breathing in your, in your face. So uh, the, in mythology, actually the Greeks understood it. There's something called hormesis, benefits from a little bit of harm, okay? Uh, because we don't understand anti-fragility, we have air conditioning. Air conditioning harms you. Walking on smooth surfaces harm you. There are not enough stressors in, daily, in modern life, which we, we see show up in diabetes. After I started talking about it a little bit, uh, I started being contacted by doctors showing me evidence what Alzheimer comes from frequent uh, feeding, no, not enough uh, stressors on your system because your brain wants some stress, some starvation. You need to starve uh, once every, I don't know how many uh, so, uh, periods or uh, be deprived of sugar uh, works. So hormesis. So here, if to go to Greek mythology, fragility would be Damocles, and this would be Hydra, uh, no, this would be Hydra, Okay, you cut one head, two grow back, and in the middle, of course, you have Phoenix, robust as Phoenix. You kill him, he comes back, all right, if you're certain to have Phoenix. Uh, in that category, again, I put uh, what's uh, Mithridates, okay, he used to take poison every day, he got you know, stronger. Uh, and, and I mean, I started doing categories, maybe randomly I should select one, or maybe you're bored already with it and you want to ask me questions. Give me, tell me when I should stop. Have, five, have five more minutes. Five more minutes, okay. I have, uh, well, it's very simple, look at reputation. If you're an author, say I am an author, given my, my full-time profession, and I hate economists, like you can't believe, or American-style trained economists, okay, with formulas that don't work, okay and uh, they endanger society, make it fragile. And I see, say, someone, I won't name him, okay, and, uh, and I decide to beat him up here, okay? You're very good. So what would happen to my uh, reputation, career, overall? Would I be harmed? By, sorry? No, yes? Be, Depends. Okay. Say I. Okay. Uh, it would, uh, say I beat up Bernanke. All right. It would be. I'll have followers. I'll sell more books, and so on. So I am anti-fragile. So an author is anti-fragile because there's nothing that can make the papers mentioning his name and spelling it correctly that can harm him. Okay. But say I work for uh, uh, Barclays Bank, all right, London uh, branch, all right, and go beat up an economist because I disagree with his opinion. What would happen to my career? It's over. So it's very, so the, some people are fragile, so you can't trust their opinion. Very, the middle class is here, reputationally. You can't trust their opinion, and we'll talk, about, talk a lot about ethics. You can't trust the opinion, and the Greeks knew that from, for a long time. That's in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Xenophon. How there's some people you can't trust, like funeral good merchant, who needs to make a living selling funeral goods. You can't really, you can trust them definitely when you buy something from them or if you talk about the weather, but you can't trust them when it comes to policies, all right, affecting the health of the citizens, fellow citizens, because you get the idea. So you have ethical challenges from people who have to make a living, and so, so they start inventing reason to fit their job, you see, to their, their ethics to their job rather than fit their job to their ethics. You get the idea. So you have someone who is afraid of voicing an opinion or doing something from fear of... Uh, of, uh, uh, of, of ostracized, being ostracized or something like that. So what else is uh, I can find here on the list that is interesting? Well, okay, epistemology. The notion true-false is very fragile. 
the notion sucker, non-sucker is very robust, <laughs> very anti-fragile. Okay. So I'm, I was, this is my, my book is about this notion sucker, non-sucker, being Turkey, non-Turkey, classifying the world. Oh, I lost that page. Ah, here it is. Okay. What else uh, there is here? Um, medicine, additive treatment, giving someone a drug, what we call additive, is very fragile. Subtractive treatment is very uh, anti-fragile. Removing something. People we are not trained to remove, uh, like in epistemology, we're not, when we forecast the future, we don't know to remove from the future what doesn't belong to it because of fragility. We, 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 our instinct is to add to the future flying motorcycles and stuff like that. You see, and uh, what else, what, before I finish, what else is there to add here? Well, finance, debt fragilizes, uh, equity is somewhere in the middle, and venture capital, you know, anti-fragilizes. Trial and error is an anti-fragile property. So um, if I were to draw, before I finish, the, 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 the payoff profile of these strategies, Something fragile gains very little, like banking, bank income, and puff collapses. In other words, if you're chairman of a company and you get a phone call in the middle of the night, you know it's going to be bad news. Okay? But trial and error, you lose, 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 and once in a while, puff, you have a bingo. You, you discover a cure for uh, baldness, for example. All right? you, can, you can do very well. So these are the two different... Uh, 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 different paradigms, and, uh, and, and you can map them and you can describe them mathematically. This is called concave, convex, and stuff like that. So I guess I'm done with the, with the idea. All right. Are you confused enough? All right, so thanks. Okay, let me, um, let me kick off with a couple of questions before, uh, before I open it, open it out. Um, the first question is uh, anti-fragility. Um, is this a kind of is this a characteristic of people? That is to say, do you think that some in your book, in this book, the, more, the most recent book, um, you talk about the magnificent? And I kind of read from what you said: that no, the, yeah, ma the magnificent, magnificent are the anti-fragile in personality. So, is anti-fragility a, a is it a character type? How is it we yeah. attain anti-fragility? I mean, no, there's a long uh, list of the fragile. You magnificent from trials you're going to face in which you're going to behave above, uh, you know, according to circumstance or even above them. There's a weak, the strong, and the magnificent. You see, always I have this obsessive uh, disorder, thinking of the magnificent. Because before Christianity, so you guys are talking about faith and stuff like that, but before Christianity, you don't ignore other beliefs, all right? Uh, we had in the Levant, uh, it, 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 we were imbued with different values that were killed in fourth century, towards the fourth century. And one of them was a magnificent, that was in Aristotle. And it's actually still present in, uh, in, Arabic, in the Arabic language, although, of course, religions have uh, sort of uh, killed it. And someone who is. Uh, uh, being magnificent is above circumstances. You, you see, that it's not at par with circumstances being strong. So is, so this, is, this, a, is this a career path open to many of us? I mean, one of the, uh, uh, the, one of the groups of people that get a pretty bad press in your book are those who have jobs. Those who are employed are, by definition, fragile. Are well, I mean, I'm, I'm using Marx. Marx is a yeah. magnificent thinker, and, and I'm glad I bought uh, Julia's father's book actually whom I knew before uh, I heard Julia 
but the the uh, the, the, the Marx uh, Marx got the, the, uh, the idea he fragilized the world more than any human in history but he understood the alienation of humans and how fragilizing it was one was specialization division of labor already he thought it was uh, dismemberment of humans and also employment that, and, and of course he understood that large companies something I believe Thus, companies hijack hijack the state, which is something uh, you know uh, uh, very pervasive now. Uh, so Marx understood that, and Marx uh, has a couple of aphorisms about employment. Those who don't know that employment is slavery are either employed or uh, are either uh, what uh, are either blind or employed. Right. Yeah. So the the uh, no, what I meant is that because you're a prisoner, you become a prisoner. Now, now in many cases it's okay, but in some cases you have an ethical, uh, ethical challenge. If you're forecasting working for Federal Reserve in New York and forecasting, and, and, and you know this forecast is pure bullshit, okay? And they all know it's pure bullshit, and then you invent reasons why it's not quite bullshit, because um, Paul Samuelson in chapter five said this. So you, you fit back explanations to what you're doing rather than do things that in accordance with your belief. That's my, my, how I draw the line. So this is a, 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 an almost completely hopeless question, but nevertheless, I shall ask it. Uh, if I was to, if I was back working in number ten, and I was to be doing a paper for David Cameron, saying these are these, these are the steps suggested by this genius in order to maximise non-fragility in our society. What do you think? What would be the things I'd want to? What well, would the policy? What would be a manifesto, is, a manifesto for non-fragility? This is exactly. Uh, this is not a non. This is a contradiction in terms. No, no, no. This is uh, you, what you're doing is not a uh, thought experiment because I was yesterday at number ten. Ah. <laughs> so presenting something on uh, why short, small corporations need to be why you should support small corporations, why you should... Uh, uh, this notion of economies of scale... Well, hang on, who, is, who should support small The state? Uh, no, but you're, we should, but no, you're no, very no, skeptical about the state. state. Stand, all you need the states is stop helping large corporations and stop using, invoking a notion that's plain bullshit empirically and also theoretically called economies of scale. Supposedly, when companies become large, Okay, the heavy economies of scale, so supposedly we're getting more services from that. It shows everywhere except in the numbers. Okay? And you can see if companies merge, okay, it's not good. And large companies disappear, and artisans do better. Okay? There's another thing uh, as far as ethics. An artisan has pride in his product. When I buy a company from a corporation, I don't know if it's a corporation, I'm going to try to sell you, it's a sucker's game, the best possible you know, image, all right, and the product definitely would be inferior to the image. You see, so you're overselling something. That's a corporation. Well, an individual would not do that. Plus, here I have, I'm saying things about corporation. I say corporations, individuals have ethical values, and, and, and corporations don't have that. Corporations don't have these ethical values by definition. Right. Well, if you, have, if you haven't been provocative up until then, I think you've haven't been what? Hadn't been provocative up until then. You've certainly been provocative in the last two minutes. Um, now it's an opportunity for uh, you to ask uh, questions. Um, and you're going to, aren't you? Uh, because otherwise, I'll ask another question. I've got, no, I've got I loads feel, of questions to no, ask, no, but it's no, not no, my no, turn no. anymore. No, no. I feel I didn't explain quite my point about uh, about large corporations. While large corporations, you look at the numbers, you read, you think they generate growth, make things product cheaper, and stuff like that. This doesn't show in the numbers. Yeah, no, I got that. That's it. Right. I got that. Okay. Yes. Very good. Oh, wait for the microphone, sir. Wait for the microphone. Here comes the microphone. And say who you are. Helena Kennedy. Um, I, um, I'm actually a lawyer. I've been self-employed all my life. And, uh, and uh, I therefore uh, follow 
exactly what you're saying about, uh, about how liberating it is not to be employed. Um, I, I just wanted to say that I, I actually don't think it's controversial to say that uh, large corporations um, are by their nature not ethical. Um, uh, I think that... By their nature? Um, not you ethical. Just said, you just said that large corporations are not ethical. Um, by their nature, you said they were not ethical. You said individuals have ethical values, whereas corporations have no ethical va values. And I wanted, a, I wanted just to pick, pick that up because I actually don't think that's particularly controversial. I think the very large corporation, the problem that arises is that people who are in business, small businesses, know that if you look after your customer um, and they don't feel cheated, they're going to come back to you. That individual ethic in relation to your consumer um, disappears when you become so big that you don't have to have that same kind of ethical concern um, because the immediacy of your connection with your customer is no longer present. And I think that you do therefore start seeing a kind of, if you like, uh, uh, disappearance of the, the ethic that exists in good business. Um, and, and so when you're talking on the phone to your bank and it's a call center in, uh, in India, wh why should there be real concern about what, what is, uh, is causing anxiety to you? And I think that I think there is often present is, an absence yeah, of ethic in the large corporations. Because we haven't got much time, so I just want to see if there's anybody else who wants to kind of challenge you for, before you, you, you make your final comments. Yeah. Um, Gabby Derbyshire. Uh, picking up on what Helena said, I actually wonder if it's a little different. I think, I, is it not to do with the fact that big corporations that produce commodities, um, it's about the relationship. Like, if, if you are producing a commodity, whether it's, say, a bank relationship or something, um, a commodity that's actually a necessity in your life and the switching costs are too high, then they lose the ethical connection because it doesn't really matter what they do, you have to stay with them. Whereas an artisan or someone who is creating so, something yeah. of value that is of beauty to you but is not a necessity will have a much closer relationship with you. And I wanted to know if when you talk so about that, that, corporations not yeah. being ethical, what exactly do you mean by ethical? We'll just take, one, we'll just take, we'll just take two more points if they can be expressed briefly. Okay. Um. And by, by the way... Uh, this is leading on so brilliantly and seamlessly to our next session. Have you noticed why I've done this, Julia? I have. Thanks. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Andrew St. George. Uh, the only other book I've read on fragility is an account of um, Aristotle called The Fragility of Goodness by Martha Nussbaum. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful book. Can you explore uh, whether moral categories are subject to fragility and non-fragility? And then finally... I, um, I just chair a little archive. I'm not sure if I'm completely understanding this. If fragility, if non-fragility is better than fragility, in a period of globalization, what are, what are the implications of what you are saying for the way that we do business? Because it seems, I suppose the question actually is, we've got the opposite now of fragility. What is the antidote to and uh, of, of non-fragility. Very good. These are, okay. good. These are fantastic uh, questions. Unfortunately, you've got three minutes to answer. Yeah, I have three minutes to answer. Very quickly, I'll answer the first two questions about corporations, about what I wrote actually in an aphorism uh, that nobody understood in America, is the fact that when I sell you a product, and my, my, the best control is shame. 
if, if I give you a product of shame, and, and that disappears because of that, uh, that alienation from the final product of, on a part of the thing. And that, Mark sort of got the point, but, uh, uh, and I'm taking it further, uh, yesterday at Tendon, I was explaining why when you decentralize, because this is an argument for decentralization, and the, 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 the town mayor is spending my money, okay, and I see him you know, walking down the street once in a while, he knows that that, that shame would be a check, all right, whereas a big bureaucrat in Washington doesn't feel shame. Okay? And, and we're encountering that. I've encountered that because I had a lot of problems with, with, uh, with the Obama administration. Okay, and, and there's no, uh, okay, so that's one. Second point, very important, about globalization. The crisis happened, my, I mean, this is what, what my analysis was before this. Uh, uh, the, the, the crisis happened of 2007, 2008, because of uh, uh, two factors. The first one, and the rise in complexity, degradation of predictability coming from globalization. Now, we live in a globalized world. We use the internet. I, even, I have a Blackberry, all right, uh, that I hope uh, will, will break one day. Uh, the, the problem of, of, of that globalization is that it's making the world much more overreactive, less predictable, uh, less fair, uh, more concentrated. There's something called the island effect. As you know, the UK, the uh, England, is, I mean, you know, Scotland is an island, Wales is an island. It had more species per square meter than a continent. So you have more diversity per square meter in an island. And when you open everything up culturally and so on, you get Harry Potter effect. It kills all that. And it makes winner-take-all effects more exacerbated. Globalization. I have nothing against globalization, except that I find uh, uh, intellectual fraudsters who advertise globalization without presenting the side effects, no different from snake oil people. Okay? If I'm selling you a drug, I want to see the side effect. The side effect of globalization is shocks, deeper shocks, and you cannot have leverage. So the crisis happened because we had globalization information uh, highways uh, going, going uh, you know, berserk, while at the same time you had a rise in leverage. Uh, leverage, you pronounced it, right? Leverage, rise of leverage, all right? So that, 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 that is, is, uh, makes, uh, makes you more fragile in, in a world like that, and, and of course the same thing breaks. So uh, uh, my idea is to reduce that rather than introduce the other one. It's very different. Plus, there's a, the final argument about large corporation that you think that we owe a lot of discovery, economic growth, all that to large corporation, it's the biggest bullshit in history. If you read the record, it's fit back. Typically, it's a small guy in his garage. Look at all the products we have. Okay, Microsoft, all these guys start in their garage, no debt, nothing. Generate growth from venture capital. And when they become large, they stop inventing, <laughs> typically. Same with pharmaceutical companies. A lot of things come from tinkering, from entrepreneurs, from artisan style. And then the minute it's industrialized, it's beginning of debt, they have debt, they pay themselves bonuses. One final thing I want to say about uh, fragility, non-fragility, is uh, the stock market. Why the stock market is a scam, whereas the economy and artisan. There's something called agency problem. The owner of capital divorced from, from the, uh, okay? The stock market has cost American uh, 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 savers $4 trillion the past decade. Mostly because it went down, but a lot of people bought above. They buy every month with their 401k, the poor suckers. <coughs> Managers made a trillion dollars in the same period. Because when the market goes up, you exercise your stock options. You benefit from volatility. Then it goes back down. You, now you have your villa. All right? So in other words, volatility benefits the owner of the option. This is, uh, uh, incidentally, I was an option trader, so I'm rehashing something in more intelligent form 
of long option, short option. Okay, the, the anti-fragile is long an option. So the owners of the company made, made more than a trillion dollars. Not the owners, the managers of the company made a trillion dollars because you have a divorce between an owner and not operator. And of course, investors lost, uh, retirees, uh, four trillion, four and a half trillion, okay, in, in compared to cost of funds, the treasuries. So you have here a, a very, we're living in a very difficult moment in, in a world that, that not only doesn't fit our genes, doesn't fit our understanding, but doesn't seem to be understood. And the more you read the press, the more you study economics, the less you understand what's going on. And these are basic things they don't see. I don't know, I understand why. Anyway. Brilliant. Uh, we will leave the fantastic question about uh, a fragile and non-fragile moral code for later in the evening. I'm going to come and talk to you about that on, later on. Fantastic question. Um, but this has really got us going, and, and it's going to feed right into the next session. But can I ask you to join me in thanking Nassim Taleb? Uh, great, thanks. <laughs>